I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey guys, welcome to another Out of Spec podcast episode. You joined me in a hotel room, of course, but this isn't really going to be the podcast. We are actually uh, recording a presentation uh, from BMW about their plans for a hydrogen future. This is actually a really good overview of BMW's viewpoint of what they think about the hydrogen economy from generation to storage to transport and ultimately dispensing into vehicles, talking about which vehicles should be hydrogen, which ones should be battery electric. And I'm not saying this is out of specs opinion or my opinion or Francie's opinion. This is purely BMW's presentation on hydrogen. I found it really interesting. I think it's great to learn about what these automakers are thinking in terms of different clean technologies. The hydrogen uh, side of things, no question, is always controversial. There's no way around it. Uh, I've already driven and reviewed the hydrogen iX5, where they built 100 BMW X5s powered by a hydrogen system, and uh, it's a fuel cell system, and it was, uh, I thought, really fantastically done. No question, the car, the execution, the implementation was the best I've ever seen. I've been lucky enough to try some of the other hydrogen cars on the market market over the years as well. Um, but is it the correct fuel source? Uh, this is more of a research project for BMW. And uh, I thought we would at least record what they had to share and explain and put it together for you in this video. What I really want to do is get in the comments, comment below what you think about the presentation, what you think about BMW's viewpoint. Are they right on the money, right on track, taking this approach very logically? Or is this either too good to be true or you know, whatever you think, let us know in the comments below. I thought it was a cool opportunity to uh, share this with you. So that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to mic up uh, Jurgen, who is uh, really the head of the BMW Hydrogen Project. We also had dinner with him the other night. Great guy. Um, pretty level-headed about this, I will say. However, he and I do disagree on certain topics when it comes to 
electrification and hydrogen, that's fine. I think we need many viewpoints for this transition to go and it's not always gonna be smoothly and there's not always one answer to what clean transportation means. So uh, let's approach this with an open mind as I always say with hydrogen and uh, at least see what BMW has to say. So we're gonna get into that right now. So I brought Jürgen with me, he's the general program manager of the hydrogen project. Good afternoon. I'll give you some uh, information on strategy and also the vehicle. So if you have questions, uh, please feel free to ask us in between. All right. Uh, good afternoon and welcome to the session on hydrogen today. We're going to talk a little bit about the strategy and our hydrogen vehicles. My name is Jürgen Goldner and I'm the general program manager for the hydrogen project at BMW. We also have Robert here, he was the project lead for this vehicle and obviously since we're such a small group um, we're welcome to ask questions as we go. The uh, topic of hydrogen is part of the BMW sustainability strategy and you probably heard a lot about this um, in the past already and I'm not going to go through the details of it but it majorly comes back to our commitment to be part and to comply with the Paris Agreement of 2015 as a company, which means that we need to be zero um, emission carbon-free by 2050. And to do that as a company takes a lot of effort. It basically goes into everything that we do, all the processes starting from looking at where the raw materials come from, how our suppliers, and they're often tiered, produce components for our cars, obviously also looking at our own production, our products, and then also at recycling. And recycling um, is particularly difficult because you really have to plan in recycling and design recycling into the car in the beginning so you have to think about 20, 25 years in advance what's going to happen when the car comes back and to how to recycle it. And as employees, we're very proud that outside observers, like in this case here, Morgan Stanley, more often than not, testify that we as a company are on the right path to getting to zero by, by 2050. Now, in this endeavor, we learned a lot. And as BMW, we're not only a leader in innovation and a leader in technology, but we're also a leader in the discussion and the uh, efforts in the climate change and sustainability. Um, we are responsible corporate citizens, and that's why we're doing these uh, workshops to discuss with you and with the public the prospect of sustainability. One of the things we learned on the way is that we need to leverage all available technologies in order to achieve this, uh, this uh, decarbonization targets and not just discard technologies for one or the other reason. Only with the multitude of technologies we're able to achieve the targets. And this is where hydrogen comes in. We have been working on hydrogen for many years, about 40 years of history at BMW with hydrogen as a fuel. In the beginning was a combustion engine and for the last about 15 years with uh, fuel cells. But the topic of hydrogen only has reached the public debate in recent years. About 2019 when the International Energy Agency published a report 
for the G20 summit in Japan that described the role of hydrogen. That kind of was the tipping point and it kicked off a lot of activities worldwide. Today we have more than 40 countries in the world having hydrogen strategies or hydrogen roadmaps and that is more than 80% of the world's GDP. So it's really a global movement as a complement to electricity in the energy system transition. It comes from the difference and the change of energy production. Today we produce energy when and where we need it from fossil fuels. In the future we want to produce energy in a renewable way from the sun, from the wind and from hydropower. Now these energy sources are renewable but they don't follow the demand both in terms of timing and location which means that we have to find means to store energy over longer periods of time um, so to speak to save the sun from the summer for the winter and also to transport energy over long distances and this is particularly important for those countries who have to import energy um, like Japan, Korea and also a lot of countries in Europe where the means of producing renewable energy are not enough to fulfill all the energy demands. And when we're talking about long-distance transport of renewable energy, electricity is very difficult and we need something else than the electrons to transport energy, in other words, molecules. A gas like hydrogen is an optimal energy carrier that can be used to transport renewable energy and also to store renewable energy over longer periods of time. As a gas it can actually use the same facilities, the same infrastructure that we already have for natural gas, meaning the pipelines and the storage facilities for natural gas can be retrofitted for hydrogen in the future. And there are activities in that direction in several countries already going on. The third reason why hydrogen is in the public debate as a complement to the electricity from renewables is that certain processes in the industry simply cannot be electrified. And here we're talking about steel production, cement, um, and on our own plants it's processes like the paint shop where it's difficult to use electricity directly and hydrogen as a gas is the more suitable energy vector for those processes. Now in the transport sector, mobility both technologies work. Direct electrification through battery electric vehicles and hydrogen vehicles technically have um, similar or um, value in how they work and they're, they're feasible solutions. So it's prudent to have a closer look on the road transport and the mobility sector to find out which technology is suitable for which application and for which user type. And in general, what we see is that the heavier the vehicle is, the more hydrogen makes sense from a usability point of view and also from a technical point of view. Which means that we think in the long term, most of the long distance heavy duty transport, the trucks and also the long distance buses will rather run on hydrogen than on electricity. And our own colleagues who are responsible for the logistics of bringing in the millions of components into our factories are also looking at hydrogen trucks to do the job when they want to decarbonize our 
own logistics. For the passenger cars and the vans, we think it'll be the other way around. We think that the majority of vehicles will be battery electric, but we already see that there will be some saturation and there's some demand for a solution that is zero emission, but not battery. And that's where we think hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicles can play a role. As BMW, we're very customer oriented. We want to deliver the best quality, but also the best performance and the best suitable powertrain to each and every customer. And to reach 100% of our customers, we think having two technologies is a better option, a better choice for the customers than just putting everything into electricity, battery electric vehicles as such um, is probably too short-sighted. Now let's have a closer look. A hydrogen vehicle is an electric car. It's actually driven by the same electric motor and the same drive software as our other battery electric models. The main difference is that the energy in the car is stored in terms of hydrogen, in hydrogen tanks, and not as electricity in a battery. The main advantage is that these hydrogen tanks can be refilled in just three to four minutes. We're basically combining the best of both worlds. We have the electric driving, the great acceleration, the silent ride, it's emission-free, and you can use the car as people have used cars for many, many years with the combustion engines. And this value proposition of having fast refueling and electric driving is interesting for customers, for example, who don't have electric charging at home who always have to go out and charge publicly. Customers who travel a lot, who need a lot of flexibility, who don't want to plan their mobility around the charging needs of their vehicle. Cold climate conditions are also a little bit of a concern for battery cars because we have to use the energy in the battery to heat the car. In a fuel cell electric vehicle, we can use the exhaust heat from the fuel cell system to do the heating and we don't lose any range in winter. And then we have a set of use cases where we consume more energy than normal. That is, for example, towing. It's also hot climates where we run the AC compressor a lot and consume a lot of energy for cooling down the car, which again has to come from the battery or the hydrogen tank in that um, matter. But since we're using more energy than normal, in those situations, the fast refueling becomes more important because you have to do it more often. Now, obviously, to be able to refuel a hydrogen car, we need hydrogen fueling stations. And when I took over this project about five years ago, I really scratched my head and thought, well, who's going to build hydrogen fueling stations since we need a lot of electric charging stations already? And that's already a big investment in all countries to build electric charging stations. And we looked around and we found a few very interesting studies. And this is an example here for Germany. And the surprising outcome of um, several of those studies was that two infrastructures, the combination of hydrogen fueling stations and electric charging, in the combination is cheaper than doing everything all electric. And it's a little bit counterintuitive. And that's why we have to look deeper into the mechanisms behind it. 
Let's start with the electric charging. And that's displayed here in this graph with the green curve. And obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty in it in the numbers. There's a, a big spread. In the beginning, for the first few millions cars, electric charging is very easy because people can charge at home. They can charge in their own garage and don't need much investment um, to be able to do that. But once you pass that and once you go into the bigger parking structures and especially the metropolitan areas where there's a lot of bigger buildings, then all of a sudden you have to upgrade the grid that brings the energy into those parking garages because the electricity systems in those garages are built for you know, having light but not having electric charging at each and every spot there. And then it becomes more expensive and that's why the cost curve goes up with the more and more cars you want to charge. With hydrogen, it's the other way around. We need an initial investment for a basic network of hydrogen fueling stations. So we have a jump in the, in the beginning, but then the cost curve is basically linear. Each hydrogen fueling station approximately costs the same. We actually do expect that the cost curve would go down a little bit with the uh, production of hydrogen fueling station technology and its involvement and um, improvement over the years um, just when um, things go into scale. This example for Germany then was turned into a calculation for the whole of Europe. The European Union commissioned our colleagues from McKinsey to do a study for everything that drives on European roads. And an outlook here for 2000 and 50, and you're welcome to look up the study yourself. There's also numbers for 2030 in this paper. And the basic outcome is the same. Two infrastructures are cheaper than one. And just to give you an impression what the difference is, they did a scenario with doing everything battery electric. All the trucks, the buses, the vans, the cars, everything battery electric, and then they threw in hydrogen. In this middle scenario here, they have 15% of the light duty vehicles, so the cars and the vans being hydrogen, and 41% of the heavy duty vehicles, that's the trucks and the buses um, being hydrogen as well. And you can see the blue number here, that's what the hydrogen fueling station network would cost, and that's still the electric. And then they increased the percentages <coughs> for hydrogen, and the cost even came down further. Does that cost go down even further if you increase the fuel cell? If you, if you said you want to increase those numbers even higher? Yeah, at some point you, you reach your saturation. I was so, going to ask you, do yeah. you know what the saturation point is? Um, I don't, no. I, I'm not sure if they, they did it all the way to saturation. I'd be curious because you're watching it drop and yeah. you want to do the next step. <laughs> yeah. No, I would have to look up the study and see if it uh, levels out at some point. So based on these findings, the European Union recently decided to make it mandatory all over Europe to have electric charging and hydrogen fueling along all the highways in Europe, all the major roads, and in each and every urban node, which is a word for every town over 100,000 inhabitants. And this is going to be built out till 2030, and this will provide a basic network all over Europe of hydrogen fueling stations at a maximum distance of 200 kilometers from each other, so 130 miles distance maximum, um, which, is, which is easy and will enable driving all over Europe with a hydrogen car without a problem.
the hydrogen fueling stations are currently more and more built to suit all different users, so trucks, buses, and cars alike, and that brings the offtake, that brings the throughput at the stations. It also brings the reliability up and reduces the cost because all the different applications can use those stations alike. This is the European perspective. Let's have a look at the, the rest of the world. Um, we see a lot of activity out in Asia. Japan, Korea traditionally have been hydrogen countries. Um, China is very active at the moment and we see a lot of activity both um, for the transport sector and other sectors in hydrogen production, in hydrogen components, development, vehicles, a lot of commercial vehicles in China, but also starting slowly the cars and the vans coming there. In the US, it's mainly so far in California. There's a pretty reasonable network of hydrogen fueling stations there and a fleet of privately owned vehicles as well that use those stations already. The rest of the US is uh, not there yet. Um, we know that there are some activities regarding commercial vehicles in the US to build also hydrogen stations and we'll have to see what happens in the passenger vehicle sector in the future. The next topic I would like to discuss is the energy system. And one of the arguments and one of the discussions around hydrogen is centered around the efficiency. Because when you have electricity and you convert electricity into hydrogen, you store the hydrogen, you transport it, you compress it to put it into a tank in a car, and then you reconvert it from hydrogen into electricity in the car, you have a lot of losses. You lose more than half of the energy. And normally you would say, well, if we lose half of the energy, then we should stop and not, not do it anymore. Um, but that's only part of the picture. Because with renewable energy, it really depends on where and when you produce it. Let's start with the where. Our colleagues from McKinsey did a study here for the Hydrogen Council, which, by the way, is a very good source for information if you want to read up more on hydrogen technology and hydrogen economy, hydrogencouncil.com is a very good source. They took a solar panel in Germany and they looked at the distance you can drive with that solar panel per year um, if you use a battery electric car. And then they took the solar panel and virtually moved it to the Middle East. And in the Middle East, the production of energy is about two and a half times more than in Germany with the same solar panel. So we're getting a lot more energy. And then after the losses of producing hydrogen, transporting it, and reconverting it into electricity in the car, even after all the losses, we end up with approximately the same distance we can drive with that solar panel. So at the end of the day, it's not just an efficiency but also a cost efficiency issue, looking at when and where we are producing renewable energy. And since we will need both in the future, production locally of renewable energy as much as we can and import of renewable energy, it's really worth looking at what are the import vectors for energy and how can we use them then directly once they're there. This is talking about the where. 
Next step, let's talk about the when energy is being produced. Because renewables are produced when the sun is shining and or the wind is blowing and not necessarily when it's consumed. And the renewable energy system of the future will need more installed production capacity than we consume on average. Because in the times when there's not much sun and or not much wind, we still need enough electricity to power everything and you know, have the lights on and power our factories. Which means that on the other side of the coin, there will be a lot of times when there's excess energy in the system just by design of the overall energy system. In Germany, last year, we had almost six terawatt hours of renewable energy that could not be produced because the grids were already full. No one wanted this energy. And this year, I, I haven't seen the sum, but for this year, it's, it's much worse because we had a very, very sunny summer. The next step will be to use this excess energy and make hydrogen out of it. And the good news is, at the times when there's excess electrical energy in the system, the price of electric energy is basically zero because no one wants it. So we have a good second energy vector that can be produced at a very low cost. Again, McKinsey did uh, some number crunching and the estimation was that at least 10% of the installed production capacity of renewables could end up as hydrogen again after all the losses. So we're getting 10% extra for not much cost other than installing the electrolyzers which are producing hydrogen from this excess energy. And again, we will need both. We will need production of hydrogen in the areas of the world where the renewables have a very high yield and also in other areas where there is excess energy available. And there's a third topic that I would like to talk about a little bit, and that is the footprint over lifetime, or we call it the life cycle analysis. Looking at everything that consumes energy from the raw materials, the production of components, the use case of a car, and then recycling. And here, there's several studies that came to, to the conclusion that the difference between a battery electric car and a hydrogen fuel cell electric car is not a factor of two, like during the use case, but it's much closer. All those studies have different assumptions and come up with different results, but the difference between the two technologies is much closer than just when we look at the, at the use phase. And in that aspect is hidden another very important factor, and that is raw materials. Especially the raw materials for batteries are scarce, and yes, we are developing new battery technologies that are trying to come up with solutions for using less raw materials. But in any case, the battery in a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle is much, much smaller than the battery of a battery electric car. Um, in terms of numbers, about 90% smaller. So we only use 10% of the raw materials in the battery in the hydrogen car versus the battery of an equivalent battery electric vehicle. We do use platinum as a raw material in the fuel cells, but platinum already has a very high recycling rate and platinum is present in the catalysts and the catalytic converters of combustion engine cars. There's a lot of 
those coming back into recycling in the next few years. And a lot of them are replaced by battery electric cars, which means the platinum of those um, will be available, for example, to make fuel cell systems out of them. Let's have a look at the uh, strategy. With the BMW iX5 hydrogen pilot fleet, we are at the first step. And we're following the same steps that we did with our battery electric vehicles. About 15 years ago, we had a pilot fleet of electric minis and active E, so one series BMW electric cars that were used to learn about this technology and to give us feedback of how people use those vehicles in daily life. And based on that experience, based on the feedback, we developed the i3, which came out just about 10 years ago. And that was the first battery electric vehicle that was commercially available from BMW. And since then, we have rolled out battery electric powertrains throughout our whole product portfolio over um, all brands, the Minis, the BMWs, and the Rolls-Royce. And these vehicles are selling very well. People really love them because they're really great cars. But as I said in the beginning, we also get already some feedback that it's not for everyone. We won't reach 100% of our customers with those products. With hydrogen, we plan to do the same steps. We have not decided yet about a first market introduction with a hydrogen vehicle. We will use the feedback from the pilot fleet to make this decision. And after um, that is successful, then possibly a rollout into several models will be possible in the future. To sum it all up, a hydrogen car combines electric driving features like the great acceleration, the smooth ride, zero emission with the possibility to refuel very, very quickly. And this gives a nice feature in the value proposition. Now, as BMW, obviously our genes are driving dynamics, the ultimate driving machine. And you probably ask yourself now, well, is this possible with a fuel cell powertrain as well? And the answer is this vehicle. Yes, it is possible, because what we did is we developed the most powerful fuel cell system for passenger cars and combined it with a very, very powerful but very small battery that gives the extra acceleration and also helps to bring back the energy when we're braking energy recuperation, like in a battery electric vehicle. Let's have a closer look at the powertrain. And we have a little model here. We have in the engine compartment the fuel cell system. Here the conversion happens between the hydrogen that comes from the hydrogen tanks. We have two hydrogen tanks here. We convert this together with oxygen from the air into electricity and directly drive the electric motor, which powers the rear axle. The electric motor is taken from our iX battery electric model. And then we have this extra battery that acts as a buffer. It has a lot of power, but not much energy content, and therefore doesn't use that many raw materials. Little chemistry lesson. This is what happens inside what we call the fuel cell. And I have a cell here. They look like this, and we have several hundreds of those in the so-called fuel cell stack. 
Now what happens in here is the chemical reaction between the hydrogen and oxygen from the ambient air. We pull in the air through a compressor and then it, and this happens all in here, it meets on the hydrogen side we have a catalyst layer, that's where the platinum is, and here the hydrogen molecule is split up into the protons and the electrons. Now the electrons go and have to drive the car basically. Um, there's a DC-DC converter that lifts it to the 400 volts that the electric motor operates in and then this electricity is used to drive the car. And the electrons come back on the other side and there they meet a second catalytic layer and that's where the oxygen is from the ambient air. And here the oxygen is ionized, it takes up the electron and therefore is ready to take up a proton. Now the trick is the membrane in the middle, that's this yellow thing here, and it's basically a semi-permeable membrane where only the hydrogen protons, which are very, very small, can go through in one direction, but nothing else can go the other way. So we're making sure that the hydrogen goes over after it got rid of its electron, comes over as a proton to meet the uh, oxygen that has been ionized and they form water, H2O. And that's the only exhaust that goes out with the rest of the air. Which means our exhaust basically is water vapor that comes out with the uh, air that is not being used. So that's the magic. I'm not going to quiz you on that. <laughs> but this is what happens in the fuel cell. And as I said, we have a few hundreds of those fuel cells in the vehicle itself. Here's some numbers, I'm not going to read them to you um, in detail, but we have about 400 horsepower in the car that gives us an acceleration less than 6 seconds, 0 to 100 kilometers an hour or uh, 0 to 60 miles an hour. The, 60, the 6 kilograms of hydrogen in the tanks give us a range of 500 kilometers or a little bit over 300 miles. And the weight of the car, very interestingly, the weight of the car is similar to the mass production plug-in hybrid version of the X5. And we did not do any weight optimization in this car um, already. It's lighter than an equivalent battery electric car would be. Uh, on the uh, vapors, the water vapor that comes out, is that just a downspout? Obviously you don't want to pipe out the back because then yeah, yeah, it it's a different effect for yeah, the, the water vapor comes out in the, basically in the like middle of the car. Yeah, it, right? yeah it, it comes out um, before the real axle already. So you, in, in winter you see some you know, little steam coming out, but it's, it's not it's very bad. Water. It's pure water. Yeah, it's actually kind of distilled water. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's so clean that you don't want to drink it because when you drink water, you want the minerals that are normally in the water. So it's water really... Iron, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to go and collect the water, yes. <laughs> I'm sure somebody will do. All right, so these are the numbers, the, the specifications for the vehicle. Um, we uh, use a few design elements, and the car is branded under the BMW i brand, and all those, animal, um, all those uh, elements were. Um, produced by our 3D printing center. Um, 
they look very nice you can see later on in the car um, very nice design elements to make sure that people recognize that this is a hydrogen vehicle obviously when you develop a car the primary concern is safety and it is the same with hydrogen we put a lot of effort in to make sure that everything is safe with these vehicles. We did a lot of component testing um, for the tanks, but also for the fuel cell system and the battery. And then we did a lot of testing for, with the whole vehicle. Um, a lot of crash testing, fire testing, certification tests, all kinds of mechanical vibration, shaking, and so on and um, obviously also a lot of testing in various climate conditions and that was done all over the world um, we have obviously some test tracks in germany we have test tracks in the south of france where we do the summer testing and we have test tracks up in sweden in uh, Aja block where we do the winter testing at very very cold temperatures we also used the fleet to do some testing in the mountains because going up the mountains um, is uh, a very strenuous test case for any car. We did some testing in the desert in Dubai and we did some testing here in the US, out in California and also in Colorado, some altitude testing as well. And after about four years of development, Robert and his team really developed a very mature car. They're still prototypes but these cars have been tested to the same conditions that we use on our mass production vehicles and we think that they already have a very good maturity and it shows that this technology is available it is mature and we are preparing for the next step thank you very much for your attention and we're open for any more questions yes please I have uh, ICE cars, internal combustions, whether it be plug-in hybrids or otherwise, will you be able to use hydrogen? Is that something that BMW is looking at? Because a lot of people that still have, you know, they, they have different needs. Everyone's got different needs, yeah. especially in the U.S. Uh, is that something that's a possibility, ICE with hydrogen? Um, we tried that uh, many years ago. Mm -hmm. We had a project that was called Hydrogen 7, mm -hmm. which was a car that used either gasoline or hydrogen as a fuel for a 12-cylinder combustion engine. Mm -hmm. And the result of this project was that we cannot get the efficiency of a fuel cell car. Just in numbers, this fuel cell technology gives us a range of 500 kilometers or 300 miles. Mm -hmm. If we use a combustion engine, we would only get 300 kilometers or 200 miles of range. And that basically is the make or break for a car that we, we think we can sell. Um, the second reason that we abandon this technology is that the future will be electric. And at some point, we want to have a common architecture between battery electric and fuel cell electric vehicles, where we, on the production line, either produce a battery car or a fuel cell car. For that, we have to make the hydrogen tanks smaller and fit them into basically the design space of the battery, put them under the floor of the car. We add the fuel cell system and then we have a hydrogen car, which gives us flexibility in the production. Flexibility for us is very important because the world is changing so fast and there are so many 
different countries, different speeds of development, different speeds in the energy transition, that we as a company valued flexibility in being able to react and to offer what the customers want um, very much. And that's why we're trying to design our powertrain strategy such that we're flexible and produce all the powertrains in the same models. Would it work with a PHEV? It is possible to make the battery such that you can charge it externally. Um, this battery is so small it doesn't make sense to, uh, to charge it. You would basically have to use a different battery cell, different battery chemistry with more energy content, but then you get, if you keep the size of the battery, then you have less power. Um, so in this case, here we opted for as much power as we could get and just used as little energy content that we needed, but it is technically possible to use a plug-in hybrid battery instead of uh, this type of battery. We have to use, look at the use cases and what the customers actually want um, to make the final decision um, because that is also something to think about. Because a plug-in hybrid you can basically only use if you can charge at home. Right. Everything else really doesn't make sense. And then you can use a battery car. So we have to see what, you know, what you customers we're addressing. Are you thinking for production, possibly for consumers? Um, we have not decided um, a, a production year or a model. Okay. Yes, please. X5. Yes. I noticed only one motor. Yes. Two-wheel drive. Yes. For, for this vehicle, yeah. um, a four-wheel drive is possible. Um, we can put a, a second electric motor under the fuel cell system here. Um, for this project, we, we did no, not do that because that wasn't the target. But the fuel cell systems are still developing. They're getting smaller because the power density of the cells uh, still goes up. So things will become smaller in the future. And it should be possible in the future to have an all-wheel drive. Is the um, fuel cell output the same at high altitude or like, is there always enough oxygen to make it work properly or does it change at altitude? Yeah, you just need to pull in a little bit more air. Okay. Since it's an electrically it's controlled, compressed anyway. yeah, it's compressed um, air that we pull in and you just have to run the, the compressor a little bit at higher speeds, okay. pull in a little bit more air. One more question, where are you fueling these up? In our plant in um, Spartanburg, uh, okay. because in our plant in Spartanburg, can the, can the public, is there a is there any public hydrogen infrastructure here? Or is that no, just no, that's that's our own infrastructure there. And interestingly enough, they're using hydrogen forklifts over there. Um, yeah, and and in the past they had battery electric forklifts, but it was more practical to go to hydrogen for the forklifts because they're easier to fuel, they're faster to fuel. With a battery forklift, you have to take out the battery, move it into a battery charging room, um, put in a new battery, and that took more labor, more time than you're feeling with, uh, with hydrogen. So they switched, and we have a second plant in Leipzig in Germany that also has uh, hydrogen um, forklifts um, operating now because it's, it's from a use case or user usability, it's more practical than battery electric. And those are fuel cell forklifts? Yes. Any consumers feedback or uh, from this test, the feedback of people that have the perception uh, between uh, the fuel cell versus the EVs that can, uh, can kind of like tell us what's, what should we expect in the, in the near yeah. future? Um, 
we were positively surprised by the feedback of this pilot fleet. Um, we have been doing basically really a world tour. We've been in many, many countries in the past. Um, a lot of European countries, we've been to Japan, we've been to China, we've been to Korea, um, California, now here in the US again. And the, the feedback was really positive. A lot of people said, yeah, BMW, you are on the right way. It's better to have two options. Give us a choice. We do want to go zero emission. Battery electric cars are great, but not for everybody. Great, thank you. Yes, sir? Well, again, it seems to me that the, the problem remains in the in infrastructure. Although, yes. as you point out, in, in Europe, especially Germany, you have this parallel structure and it. You know, the future looks bright. We're all going to be electric by 2030. And you have 116 hydrogen stations in California. And that's basically due to Arnold Schwarzenegger and the electric or the, the hydrogen 7 fleet in California and support for that. Uh, what is your feedback from the people who are trying to survive with their uh, hydrogen fuel cell cars in Southern California and who are not very happy for those particular investments? Because the infrastructure, although it's sort of there, is very iffy, very spotty. It's sort of fourth world country hoping that the thing is open and has any hydrogen when you get there. Yeah. Um. The, uh, the hydrogen stations in California um, seem to have some reliability issue um, <laughs> and some supply issue. Um, I, I, we've been there and we, we heard the complaints about that, um, but it's not rocket science. The, the stations in, in Germany are all operated by a, uh, a company called um, H2 Mobility and um, they do all the maintenance and our uptimes and, and reliability numbers are way higher than in California. So it is actually doable to operate a hydrogen fueling station network at a high um, reliability and a high uptime um, scenario. The, uh, the trick will be fueling stations that serve trucks, buses and cars. And the demand actually will come from the commercial vehicles because a lot of commercial vehicles have dedicated routes um, it's more planable. They have a higher uptake. You know, each truck takes 50 to 70 kilograms of hydrogen versus five or six for a car, plus a truck drives every day for longer distances. So the uh, hydrogen fueling stations of the future will be built primarily for the commercial vehicles, but it's not that difficult to add the passenger side of things to those fueling stations. And we think that at least what we see in Europe and also in Asia, that the fueling stations will be built to serve um, the commercial vehicles and then also the passenger cars. And the passenger cars kind of follow the commercial vehicle sector. And from what we've heard in California as well is that the new stations that are being built, um, they're mainly for, for the commercial vehicles. Um, we also heard some plans that they want to build a corridor um, all the way going to um, Oregon and maybe even Washington State and possibly into Vancouver um, to have a hydrogen corridor for, for trucks. And then we think that the station network will be built out also for, for passenger cars. In, in the U.S., is there a parallel plan as you indicate the, the cost savings and potential in Europe of building stations that are both fast charging stations and hydrogen refueling stations, is, is that? 
I'm, in the works in America, yeah. or are we just independent corporations running around trying to figure out how to make the greatest yeah. buck? Um, I'm not aware of any um, consorted effort or a, you know a government plan to have electric charging and hydrogen fueling stations all over America. I know that the U.S. government has awarded um, a big sum of money just recently to I think six hydrogen hubs, where there will be local hydrogen economies evolving all over the U.S. And this could be kind of the starting point, because a lot of those projects are centered around hydrogen production, but also obviously around hydrogen usage. And mobility definitely is included in the, uh, the use case for those. So we'll have to see how these projects fan out. And if they are, then the hydrogen hubs and the, the starting point for a hydrogen fueling station network. Are these hydrogen hubs uh, solar or wind renewable? You know, the excess generation that you were talking about in the Middle East, is that the same yeah. sort of target in the U.S.? Yeah, it's mainly green hydrogen production. Okay. Yeah. And it was uh, publicized by, by the government just a few weeks ago, so you're welcome to, to look that up. Yeah. The yes, ma'am. The 117 number that you gave for stations, is, are those both public and private? Because I'm on the U.S. Department of, of uh, Energy's website, and they're saying there's only 62 in the U.S. Yeah, that's public. that's public and private stations so together. Yeah, private. yeah. So public, there's only 62. Yeah, yeah, that is correct. Even worse than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Back in the 90s, I'm dating myself here, right? Um, I think many of us drove. I'm sure you did. Yeah. The Equinox and the Ford Hydrogen. Yes. And they were cool. But then suddenly all that got shelved because the next administration came and said, oh, we want all electric. Is that the same technology we're using today as far as the fuel cell technology involved? I, obviously, it's a different brand yeah. and so forth, but I'm just saying as far as, because it, it worked. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, the basic, yeah. The chemistry is the same and the fuel cell principle is the same. Obviously, the technology has evolved a lot. Um, the power density from back then is not comparable to what we have today, um, by far. So there has been a lot of technological advancement in, in the last 20 years or so of development. And fun fact, the first battery electric cars mm -hmm. drove around in the U.S. in the early 1900s. Yeah. Ford and, and so on. Also Mercedes. Yeah, there was a lot of battery electric cars back then, and then they disappeared because gasoline was easier to handle, and then now they're coming back. So, yeah, sometimes technology needs some time to evolve, and for, for our industry, um, really the, the breakthrough now is that hydrogen is becoming part of the energy transition. It will be available in huge quantities, um, and also that um, the commercial vehicle sector will use this, this technology more extensively. The nice thing about the fuel cell technology is that it can be used for cars, for vans, for trucks, for buses, and the cells and the systems are very, very similar. It's basically the same, same technology. Even airplanes, um, Airbus is looking at airplanes, um, stationary applications where we um, generate power from hydrogen, for example, for data centers as backup power. Um, all this technology is the same. So we will see some scaling of this technology in terms of um, volume, but also a lot of the suppliers in the automotive industry who are doing combustion engine components at the moment 
um, have an easy time to convert to hydrogen components because a lot of the stuff is the same. You know, we have an air system, we have the uh, cooling system, we have the compressor, which is just an electric compressor. We have a lot of valves, sensors, pipes, and so on. And all these are components that the automotive industry and the suppliers know how to do, know how to scale, know how to produce, and drive the cost down. You mentioned the exhaust, and you mentioned the heat dissipation, and using right. the exhaust to heat the car in cold climates and that sort of. What kind of, what kind of heat are we talking about? We're, we're not using the heat from the exhaust. We have a, an active cooling system that um, runs through the cells. Between the cells, there's, there's also some cooling channels. And we're using that to heat the car with a heat exchanger. And then we heat the car with the, the heat that comes from the, the um, fuel cell system. OK, so how much heat are we talking about? Well, enough to heat the car in winter at whatever, what was it, minus 20 to minus 25 Celsius um, to heat the car to agreeable 20 Celsius plus, or there's what's no, that, 70 no problem, something? There's no problem cooling these systems in hotter climates then? No, no. Okay. We, we designed the cooling system such that it can also cool um, the system at hotter temperatures. That's why we went to right. Dubai, for example, yeah. and um, California to do hot weather testing and see if the cooling system is potent enough right. to, uh, to cope with that. Obviously, you have to design um, the system such that it can do that. And is, uh, is that liquid cooling or air cooling? Liquid, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things that we did, um, especially that I forgot to mention, is that this uh, fuel cell system can run at max power permanently. We don't have a distinction between the max power and the permanent power. We designed the cooling system and the rest of the system such that the fuel cell can run at its max power um, continuously. And that's why we have such a high um, constant speed for our German autobahns. Cool. Um, what about the cost? You know, you, when you go right now to, to have a fuel in your car, you have an ex cost, well, depending on your location, yeah. but what is the average cost uh, with your own uh, fuel systems here in South Carolina to make it comparable with the prices of the gas here? Um, I don't know what uh, our colleagues at the plant pay for, for hydrogen here. Um, at the moment, I know in, in Europe, in Germany, um, we pay about, um, interestingly enough, 11 euros for green hydrogen per kilogram, which is 50 miles. Um, so in Germany, that's comparable to um, gasoline or diesel from per mile or per kilometer price. Um, interestingly enough, the gray hydrogen, so hydrogen that's not produced from renewables is more expensive already than the green hydrogen. So the green hydrogen is becoming cheaper already. California at the moment has some issues and the prices are much higher than they were a year or two ago. But we think that there's a temporary market issue there that will be resolved, especially when there's large scale production of green hydrogen in the US coming in the next few years. Because renewable energy becomes more expensive than, um, or is more ex um, is cheaper. Sorry, it's cheaper. cheaper. Renewable energy is cheaper than, um, for example, gas. Natural gas um, prices have skyrocketed in in Germany or in Europe because of the Ukraine war and Russia's invasion there. What 
what sort of role do you see the energy companies, which are no longer called oil companies, <laughs> what role do you see them fulfilling? I've, I've made the foolish prediction that you know the, the question of infrastructure in the United States is one that's easy to solve because every shell station that decides to sell electrons rather than or rather than in addition to gasoline, uh, doesn't matter whether it's uh, selling electricity or selling hydrogen. Right. They, what what do you know of their involvement in this this new future? Um. We see that a lot of those energy companies are investing both into having electricity, having electric charging at the stations, but also some of them are investing in having hydrogen available at, at the stations. And it's, it's easy to integrate hydrogen um, into an existing station. Exactly. Right. So a lot of those companies have programs. Um, the details you would have to discuss with these uh, companies directly. All right. Your certificates. <laughs> we'll get the certificates to you. Yes. Thank you very much for your attention, and uh, we'll make sure you're able to to ride the cars. Thank you. Thank you.